The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Um, our sermon text reading is 37, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, sorry, Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. He made him, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves uh, gathered around it, bowed down to my sheep. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and sisters. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And told, um, Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his fathers and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. This is the word of our Lord, and it is for our good. Amen. Thank you. Zebedee, you may be seated. We, um, I'm taking us through a series this month about children of the Bible, or really it's youth of the Bible because most of them are in their teens, but um, children of the Bible just sounded better, I thought. And um, we're going to learn lessons from them. I used to use the term childlike faith to describe how adults need to have faith like children, simple and complete. But after experiencing the expression of child faith in my son Jackson as he traveled the path of physical death, I feel the term childlike is to pretend. It's like when little children want to play something with you that you don't really enjoy. You ever had that experience as a parent? Yeah, Candyland or house or... Some, some other thing, and they're into it, and you're not. But you play with them because they're your children, and you read in the self-help books, that's what you're supposed to do. But after a while, it becomes pretty obvious that this is not your cup of tea, and the child finally says, I got something else to do, Mommy or Daddy. I, I'll go play something else. Or, or they, this is a classic one. Are you having fun, Daddy? Boy, how do you answer that one with integrity, right? All right. But that is how I've come to think of childlike faith. There's a pretendedness to it. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to pretend that I trust God simply and completely rather than 
what it's like when playtime is something you actually enjoy with a child's kind of enjoyment. And I'm sure some of you have had that. If I can just put up an example, I think, in our church of that person, it's Stan Miller, Papa. That man plays with his children as a child, not pretending. And it's a wonderful blessing. So watch him with his grandkids. (laughs) But that's what I'm trying to describe. I'm trying to describe what it's like to really, truly trust God, not just pretend. We can't pretend to uncomplicate things in our childlike faith. We have to really have a child faith, simple and complete. And we're going to look today at what that child faith looks like in the life of Joseph. So you can turn to chapter 37 of Genesis. And my wife uh, looked at my sermon and reminded me this morning that usually I do like a life history of the Bible up to whatever text I'm preaching from and that it's not in here. But I am going to do that, even though Stephen Armstrong's not here, and I know he enjoys that. I'm going to do that, and we're just going to do it through a genealogy. So Adam, Abel, Seth, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All right? There's your history. You can go look up the rest of it yourself, but that's how the Bible does it, except it puts in baguettes. So the Bible does the genealogy that way as well, and that's what we're doing. So that brings us up to Joseph. And Joseph, the text tells us, is 17 years old. So he's a youth. Now, we don't have any, do we have anybody here who's 17? What's the closest we have? <laughs> yeah, Stan. No, that's, you're not there yet, Stan. Uh, <laughs> I guess the closest we have probably is uh, Charity, or Abby over here, right, at 16. All right, okay. So imagine there, 17 years old, and think about the challenges in his life at this particular moment. First of all, he's special because he's the firstborn of Rachel. Why does that make him special? You can yell out the answer. Okay, so why did he have to do that? Because father tricked him, right. But Rachel was the one that Jacob really loved. Remember that story? Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, and on the wedding night, after everything's all complete, he finds out it's not Rachel. And so then he's got to work again for for Rachel. So he's got Rachel and Leah, but there's something else here. It's not just that she's the wife he really loved. What else? What's that? Okay, but before that, that's, that's the second point I'm going to make. Good job, though. You, you're ahead of me on a sermon. What? Rachel was barren. Not only is she the wife he loves the most, but she can't have any children, which caused quite a bit of distress in this whole thing. And if you know your, your history here, Joseph is actually the 11th son in, for, of Jacob. And so he's had a number of half-brothers born by um, other wives. And so that makes him special. And then as Jeannie helped us with, Jacob uh, loves Joseph special because he's the son of his old age. Not only that, but Joseph, uh, Jacob marks Joseph out as the special one by giving him what? Coat of many colors, right? You guys aren't real responsive today. Come on, I know you know your Bible better than that. This is a simple story. Joseph has a coat with many colors. And apparently that coat had a big bullseye target on the back of it. Because his brothers, it says, hated him and could not speak peacefully to him because they saw how much his father loved him. 
So at 17, you're the 11th son. Um, you're the only son of Rachel. You're especially loved by your father in a way that's evident to everybody because you're wearing this coat around, and your brothers hate you for it. So that's tough, but that's not the end of it. Your father then says, Joseph, I need you to go out and check on your brothers and see how they're doing tending the sheep. That might be okay, except the brothers aren't doing well. They're doing badly. The scripture never really tells us what they're doing badly, but I tell you what, if you read chapter 34 of Genesis and the rest of chapter 37, not right now, but later, you will know and understand how cruel these brothers could be. Whatever they were doing bad, it was bad. And the Bible tells us that Joseph brought back a bad report. So think about it. At 17, Joseph has to make a choice about integrity. He goes out, he sees his brothers, they're doing bad things, and he's got to come back and tell his father something. Now, the easy thing would be to say, oh, you know, Dad, it's, it's challenging out there. It's tough. They're, they're having a rough go over it, but they're making it okay. I think they'll turn out fine. But that won't do because that wasn't really with integrity, was it? Joseph's going to tell his father the truth. Dad, they are behaving badly, whatever that might mean. His integrity compels him to tell his father the truth. Now, children and young people, this sermon series is specifically with you in mind, so listen up over there, Jed. You're doing well when you tell the truth even if it might get you in trouble, even if others might dislike you for it. I think most of you children and all of us adults are familiar with that uh, situation when one of our siblings is misbehaving and we need to go tell our parents and we know our sibling's not going to like us for a while because of it. Yeah, it happens. But we were made to be truth-tellers. Young people and, and children, you were made to be truth-tellers, to tell the truth and when you do that, you show integrity. Now, as if Joseph's life isn't hard enough, God adds something to this specialty of Joseph. He's got something else that makes him special. What is that? Dreams. Dreams. Now, dreaming, uh, dreaming dreams from God is not uncommon in this family, right? Jacob had dreams. Um, it the, the Bible tells us he had a number of dreams. And so this is not something uncommon. It is the way God is at this particular time speaking, sometimes anyway, to his people to tell them what he wants them to know. And so God gives Joseph some prophetic dreams. He causes Joseph to dream that his family will bow down to him. Now think again about this. He's the 11th son in a culture where the firstborn is highly rated. Right? Esau, the firstborn, trades away his birthright to Jacob for some food and because he despised it. And his birthright gave him a number of special privileges. And so basically what this dream is saying, these two dreams that Joseph had, what they essentially are saying is, what God is saying through them is one day Joseph will be the practical patriarch in the family in the sense of he will be the one with the power to provide and protect for your family that's unheard of for the 11th son in a family in this culture and his family doesn't appreciate it 
Not only uh, are his brothers angry with him for it, they hate him even more, but when he brings the second dream out and tells them, his father rebukes him. Look at verse 10. His father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Jacob can't comprehend this. Yet Jacob knows this is probably from the Lord because he understands how God speaks through dreams. While I was thinking about this, after the dismal response to the first dream, Joseph might have thought about keeping the second dream to himself. And some people interpret his actions as those of just an immature 17-year-old who's kind of provoking his family. But I don't, I don't agree with that. I prefer to think of this as Joseph's obedience to speaking forth the word of God. Understand what's happened here. God has given him some information, the word of the Lord, through a dream, and he needs to tell that. For one thing, when he tells that now, it's verified then that this is the work of God when they come down to Egypt. So imagine this whole story without Joseph ever telling the dreams. His brothers still hate him. They sell him into slavery, and everything turns out the same way. But it's not going to have the same impact later for Joseph to go, oh, by the way, I dreamed about that. But when Jacob gets to Egypt with his children and they all bow down to Joseph as the second in command in Egypt, God's word is verified that he is the one who has done this. So Joseph's not just being an immature young man telling dreams that he probably should keep to himself. He is a man who has heard the word of the Lord, or seen the word of the Lord, if you will, and he is sharing it because that's what he's meant to do. And if you ever think knowing the word of the Lord and not telling it to others is a good idea, read the book of Jonah, right? And then call up that guy in Maine who got swallowed by the whale and find out what that's like. So if you know the word of the Lord, you're supposed to share it. You're supposed to tell it. Well, his jealous brothers hate him even more for this second dream, and now they are going to sell him into slavery. So, children and young people, listen up again. You hearing me? Keep telling the truth, even if it might get you in trouble. Keep telling the truth, even if others dislike you for it, because you were made to be truth tellers. And when you tell the truth, you are exercising your child faith because you are trusting that God will be on your side when you show integrity. Look, at, look with me at Proverbs 10. A great proverb. If you're still at a, at a place where you're able to memorize Scripture, this would be a great one to memorize. Proverbs 10.9, whoever uh, walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. You never need to walk in fear when you have integrity. When you tell the truth, you don't have to try to remember a lie because you spoke the truth. So tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And God, indeed, will help you. That's what he says here. You will walk securely. All right. Now, older children of God, that would be the rest of you. We've got some work to do as well. I'm, I'm challenging us, myself and you, to this kind of child faith. I've been working hard over the years to move away from a pretended childlike faith to a real, true child faith that just trusts 
God simply and completely. Listen, showing integrity, even when it might invite trouble or people hate us, is not easy to do. In fact, in the life of Joseph, let's look at another incident that might apply a little more to those of us who are older. Chapter 39, if you look over at that, Joseph is uh, currently, having been sold into Egypt, living where? Potiphar's house, all right. And what is he there? He's a slave, all right, he's a slave. But he's not just any slave. He has, through his integrity, demonstrated that he's trustworthy, so much that Potiphar has put him in charge of everything in his house. In fact, Joseph says this about Potiphar. Potiphar, in verse 9, is no greater in this house than I am. That's quite a statement. The slave is on par with the owner, is in essence what's happened here because of his integrity. And he says that statement at just the time that his integrity is being tested. Because Potiphar's wife has cast her eye on this handsome uh, man, Joseph, and she wants him. And he refuses. Look, look at his refusal in verse 8 and 9. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph shows integrity in resisting Potiphar's wife and telling her why. I owe everything to him. I'm taking care of his stuff. What I've been made for is to care for Potiphar's stuff well and to not sin against God by committing immorality. And what does he get for it? Prison. A prison sentence. All right, go back, to, go back to Proverbs 10, because this, this is a problem. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. And I don't think it means that they're behind prison bars. Do you think Joseph would have trouble with that proverb at that point? Wait a minute. I, I have my whole life exhibited integrity before the Lord and I've been sold into slavery by brothers who hate me and can't speak peaceably to me. And now I've been put into prison for something that I didn't do. But you see, trusting God, keeping our integrity, is not a magic charm that keeps evil away from us. It's not a talisman that keeps anything from hitting us that could be hurtful. You may keep your integrity and lose your job. I was just talking to a man at, uh, at uh, St. James who may lose his job because of his integrity. You may keep your integrity and lose your spouse. You may keep your integrity and lose your freedom. You may keep your integrity and lose your life. Keeping your integrity is not a guarantee that everything's going to be comfortable for you here. In fact, walking securely is not about having the comforts of this life guaranteed to us. Rather, it is about having a good conscience toward God and all men. It is being able to lay your head down in peace in the evening. Whether your pillow is at your house or the hospital or the prison or the morgue. And most importantly, child faith in expressing integrity 
is about knowing that doing the right thing now brings eternal reward. That's the key. Paul says it this way. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What a, and, and Paul, by the way, knew about not, uh, not having it easy and comfortable, didn't he? But he says, all this stuff that's hitting you now, in, ca- in this case because you have integrity, it's just a light thing when you think about the glory that we're going to receive. When we think about how great that's going to be. And that's one of the things that ought to keep us from losing heart. As we move through things and hard things hit us and come against us, they're just adding, our response especially in that is adding to the glory that will be beyond all comparison. My family and I, when we many years ago read a book as a church by Randy Alcorn about money, uh, adopted the phrase, uh, yay for the ray, not for the dot. And Alcorn's point was, a lot of people live their life as if it's a little dot on a timeline, and that's all. That's all you get. But if you think of your life as a ray that's going to go on for eternity, you begin to live with something very different in mind. And our goal as a family was not to live just for what's right now, but that living for what's right now will be part of that eternal weight of glory. And so I encourage us, us younger children and us older children of God, here at Durkee Town, to keep telling the truth and living righteously, even if it might get us in trouble, and even if others might dislike us for it. Let's, let's be a family together with integrity, saying and doing what God has created us to say and do, speaking the truth in love so that we may grow up into Christ who is the head of the body. Our Father, I thank you, I thank you for this truth, this reality. I thank you for integrity and in your Spirit's work in our lives to bring that forth, for causing that to happen in the life of Joseph as an example for us. And not just as an example, but as a means that you use to preserve your people, to keep much people alive. And that through the line of Jacob, then, the servant king Jesus would be born. The servant king whose integrity was such that he went to the cross and died for our sin. And so we celebrate at the table now his willingness, in fact, his joy in suffering so his people might be saved. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org.